Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Craig Dickinson. And I'm Matt Leader. Today on the show, we are talking about Batman from 1989, the Tim Burton film. Craig, what are some of your overall thoughts? Well, first thing I want to say is that I'm really excited to be doing this movie. You know, we, we definitely wanted to do this movie at some point, and now we have the Batman coming out March 4th here in the U.S. And, you know, I, I talked to you a while back about doing the, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, and you had the idea of doing, and I'm really excited to do this, uh, a series on, you know, Batman's first appearance in each of like the most recent series. So, you know, to do Batman 89, Batman begins and then in Batman V Superman, just that's what's, that's what's coming down the pike from us. So I'm very excited to, to do this movie. I've, this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, you know, it's, it's a movie that I saw in the theater, which I I'm very curious to know what your first experience was. Cause I'm significantly older than you, which is always fun to be reminded of. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's one of my favorites. I, I think that, it uh, it kind of still works if you look at it almost like a period piece. It's like this really bizarre kind of time capsule. It's very much of its own. It is a Tim Burton movie who always has, he has this very particular aesthetic. It's, I think, probably the most mainstream of Tim Burton's films, but it still is very much off center in a lot of ways. Uh, but I, I, I like it a lot. I, it's It's one of my favorites. I watch it frequently probably i think every year i watch it uh, i watched it recently just for fun and uh yeah so what about you matt what are, what are your thoughts well uh, <clears throat> i gotta say that like first i totally agree with you that like what pops into my head was this is a tim burton film but it's less tim burtony than a lot of his other films like it's definitely got some of his uh style and aesthetic but at the same time, it, it also feels a little bit more restrained in the quirkiness of it, like in some ways. In some ways, it's not restrained at all. But uh, I just think of some of other Burns uh, films uh, like Beetlejuice. Um, right. <laughs> like, the one right before this one. Yeah. And it, it's like it, it does feel like you said a little more mainstream. This is an interesting movie because... I I don't have the same history with it that you do. Um, I watched it when I was young, growing up, uh, but I didn't fall in love with it, I think, as much as you did. I uh, was much more uh, interested as a kid in a lot of the animated Batman. Uh, so the like animated Batman series. Um, God, I'm forgetting the name, but like the, the animated Batman film, The Phantasm. Yeah, Mask of the Phantasm. Yes, uh, loved watching that uh, growing up. Um, but I very distinctly remember having toy cars of this Batman of, of from this Batman film. So, you know, it definitely was was there. I I enjoyed the film. I think that it's it's kind of its own thing. <laughs> what I mean by that is there's parts of it that I I enjoy. Um, I particularly like Michael Keaton. Um, and, and what he brings to the Batman role. And this is one of the reasons I was really interested in talking about like Batman. Cause again, you have this like series of films where you have different 
authors, right? Different creators, different creative teams and minds who are all kind of bringing different iterations to the same character. Um, and so like, I do want to dive into the idea of Batman that this movie presents a little bit along with, of course, some of the, the film stuff. Cause I think that that's for me, that's like what really got me interested in doing something like this is comparing Burton's Batman and Snyder's Batman and Nolan's Batman mm-hmm. and, and seeing like, okay, what do they have to say with the same character with the same color palette? What are they making with it? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited to do that because I've never watched them that consecutively. You know, like it's, they are so very different flavors that you're kind of like, I'm, I'm in mood for a Batman movie. So I'm going to watch this or this or this. And then I'm kind of done with Batman for a while. Uh, and you know, they're, Different people have their favorites, you know, and, and they kind of lean toward one or the other. I don't, I don't know if anyone necessarily likes them all equally because mm-hmm. they are, are so different. So, um, yeah, this will be kind of an interesting thought experiment. Uh, I do remember one last thing I want to say before we get into kind of the, the, the nuts and bolts of it is uh, this is 1989. Obviously, the very next year in 1990, CBS has the Flash TV show, which... Uh, I was a huge fan of it only ran one year. Um, I was one of the few people that, that watched it apparently didn't get enough ratings. If it had been released, you know, two decades later, it would have been a huge, huge smash, but it wasn't you know, ahead of its time, but it's heavily, heavily influenced by, uh, by this film. And it kind of looking back at it now, you can really see the influence, but like the art deco design. And we'll get into all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, Danny Elfman, who did the music for this film, did the theme for the flash. And so it was very much like when as much as it is a Tim Burton film and has its kind of quirks and it's very surreal at the time, it was also like, this is how you do superhero movies. And so they literally took that template uh, and made the flash TV show out of it. There's it's very similar. And I mean that at one point we may have to do that at one point, just so you can really, kind of pull those things out and be like, oh my gosh, this looks like it's very much in the same universe, uh, which is cool. And, you know, as, you know, as a kid growing up watching Super Friends and Justice League and whatnot, you're like, yeah, of course these guys would have ran into each other. It feels like a natural extension of that world. But um, I don't know if you can overstate how influential this film was at the time. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the animated series, which is an offshoot of this too. I mean, you have, um, it's very similar in, in the art design and, and the music, of course, is, very much lifted from this film um and but it became its own thing as well so like you said that's kind of your intro to batman from i hadn't had that yet because this came first but you know this was for me was what came after the adam west batman or you know batman with scooby-doo animated i mean that's you know this is very different from that oh yeah and and that's a great point because you know when you're talking about film there's like a whole context that you know, you miss because, you know, we're watching this in, in 2022, but it wasn't made, you know, like what came right before it, as far as Batman, you have the Adam West, which is a totally different beast. This is quite dark compared to the Adam West Batman, you know, I mean, it, it there's parts of it that feel very much like a gangster film and you've got the Tommy guns and, and people dying left and right. And so it's like to go from Adam West to this was a pretty big shift 
But then, you know, we compare this to something like the Nolan or the mm. Snyder Batmans. And it's like, no, those, those get really dark. This right. is still pretty campy. Like, but you know, that in 89, this was a much darker film for Batman than, than people I think were expecting. Yeah. I love that point. I think you do kind of have to appreciate a film for, for the context, right? Like remember what it is at the time and, and let it be that as well. And so as opposed to, well, I like this because it's dark or I like this because it fits very much like this is a 2010 film. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's perfect. Enjoy that for that and enjoy this for that, um, for this as well. So um, speaking of things that you can enjoy cinematography, what, what were some things that, that stood out to you, Matt, uh, cinematography wise for, for Batman? So, you know, first really for me, um, what, what jumps out to me is, is the color, um, the color and the design, uh, that, that come up in the film. You, you mentioned the art nouveau or art deco, sorry. And, um, I, I just feel like there's this like really interesting contrast. There's a lot of very, very dark scenes in the film. Um, a lot of them on the streets. And I think that what this movie does really well is capture that, that tone, that mood of this is a city that needs something like Batman to come in um, because the, the streets are dirty. They are dangerous. Um, and you kind of contrast that with the art deco, the Bruce Wayne, you know, the um, kind of high society, uh, which is so much brighter. Um, And then you get the colorfulness from the Joker. And it is just a shock of purple and orange and green. And um, it's a pretty wide gamut of 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 color and in light and dark um and and that's part of i think the campiness of it i don't think you would see something like this in like modern film you know just you know thinking about like the known films uh, ahead you know because obviously you have like the joker uh from the dark knight it's so much more muted the colors uh for that joker other than maybe his smile right uh, which is the red, but like just that by itself, it, I think that's, it's kind of tying. It's like halfway in between um, the darker, grittier and and darker in terms of color, um, Dolor, um, Nolan and Snyder Batman's and the Adam West, which was super bright all the time, bright colors, pastel colors, like off a comic book, you know, uh, so it's, it, it's kind of, the, I see this, like when I was watching, I was like, this feels kind of like that, that middle ground, uh, in terms of like color between these two worlds that Batman's kind of residing a little bit in between both of them. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, that's very insightful. Uh, I also, I love that you talked about the color because that was a thing that I've seen this movie probably a hundred times. And that wasn't really anything I paid attention to that much. Until now. And I mean, obviously you have an image in your mind of Jack Nicholson's Joker and you know that it's bright, but you look at, you know, even as Jack Napier, before he becomes the Joker, he's already wearing the purple. You know, he's already the one that kind of stands out uh, as being the one who embraces the color. And, you know, we could even get into, you know, Batman's suit is black in this. It's not even blue and gray that the Joker seems to be the one character that has, 
you know, that's not a, like a monochromatic palette. I mean, Vicky Vale is in a lot of white, but it's not color. Like the only, only one that's got really color is, is, is the Joker. So um, that's a, that's a nice poll. I, I want to also point out the, how amazing I, the, oh, I love the opening shot uh, that you don't quite know what it is. You have this very slow reveal. Uh, it looks almost like it's a cave at first, you know, it's very rock like, and then it, you know, pans back out and you have this kind of bird's eye view down shot of the bat symbol. And I just thought, I mean, what a, what a great intro to let us know. This is what this movie's about. This is who it's about. You know, it's got the, the music, uh, which I also want to talk about when we get to the music. I love the music for this film that there's a lot of clearly a lot of symbolism in this, in this film. Um, very much on the nose. You also have um, a shot that I've always enjoyed where you have the bat wing flying up straight up and then it you know, pauses for just a second above the moon and recreates the bat symbol right there. And again, totally on the nose, um, but I don't care because it's cool. And I even every time I see that, I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, why would he have to go straight up? I don't know. He's got to get the angle to come down and get the balloons, whatever. But uh, it's a great looking shot. It is. Yeah. And, you know, it, there's there's a couple shots just like spread out, like throughout the whole movie of like Batman coming down in sort of silhouette mm-hmm. uh, with his his cape flowing and stuff. Uh, lots of smoke, I would imagine, to kind of disguise some of the contraptions that are actually hauling sure. either the sun actor or, you know, whoever. Uh, but you kind of end up having this like the, the Batman silhouette whether it's smoke, the moon, you know, with the bat wing. Um, and you kind of have this, you also have like a lot of shots of Batman, like crawling around in the background. Uh, I, I'm thinking of the Axis chemical where he's like sneaking around in the background and you see him, you know, thinking about like the depth of the camera shot where yep. you have someone in the foreground and then you got Batman in the background and it, you know, having him back there kind of sets it up that he's, He's there and it's kind of priming you for this. Okay. When is he going to come? And then you have that silhouette of him coming and swooping down. I also think that it's like a little, I don't want to say different, but like, and I haven't uh, seen the the Nolan um, movies in a while. I don't recall Batman coming down in that giant silhouette. Not as, because there were several moments in this film and I don't recall that happening as much. And I just wonder if that was, like an intentional thing where they're trying to get that image of the Batman coming down. If it was just a choreography decision. Um, but either way, you know, you have that of, of uh, Batman swooping in uh, to, to rescue. I think one of the odd ones that stood out to me is it was like a, a smash cut when I think Vicky Vale first like learns the truth about who Batman is mm-hmm. and then like Batman knocks her out. Yeah. And, and, and it's like a cut where his cape comes up, but then like cuts the bats. And then I think there's like a fade into Vicky on her bed in her apartment. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it, it was just, I don't know. It was just it's unexpected. Just, it's, it's a, a strange weird, sequence. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I get it, but just not what I was expecting. Yeah, it's a very artistic sequence for sure. You're not quite sure what's happened. And yeah, the bats, I mean, that's clearly just symbolism. They're not actually coming out of his cape there. And right. 
but that's kind of that's what at least for me that's like the first thing it's like why are there bats <laughs> coming out of his cave like he's bad anyway. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh, did you did you notice how much dutch angle is in this film there's mm-hmm. so much dutch angle in this and i love dutch angle i just i just think it's it's fun but it even starts with like the first shot the establishing shot of wayne manor is this very wide shot and then it's you know at a 45 degree angle and i just look at that like you know bruce wayne's not normal right this this guy's a little bit off and so that made sense that wayne manor would be off it's very much representative of the first time we meet bruce and he says um, as much to vicky at least sure that he's got you know a double life yeah yeah i love that love that scene it's a good scene uh lots of um high angle dutch angles too like combined when you have joker's point of view as he's off balance as well it's kind of the way i read that um and just just a ton of of those just just for to establish context too, you have you have one where they're looking down at the dining room where where he's uh, on his date with Vicky the first time that room that he's not sure he's ever been in before, which is another great moment of levity. That even that is not just shot straight down; it's shot again at forty-five. Lots of even tracking angles with with Dutch. Um, so, you know, the cinematographer uh, for this film, uh, Roger Pratt, who worked a lot with Terry Gilliam. So that makes sense that he's a little bit, <laughs> a little strange. You know, he did, among other things, 12 Monkeys, which has a lot of Dutch angle in it too. Um, some Monty Python. He did Brazil, you know. So these, it makes sense that he would have kind of a knack for being, you know, using disorienting camera angles. Also did some kind of mainstream stuff like, and I'm going to have to go back and watch now Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets and Goblet of Fire and look for those types of angles. And I know they're there. Some of them are. Uh, but it's just kind of fun to kind of track, uh, you know, how the, some of these guys work, these men and women work, you know, with a lot of the same kind of techniques. You go like, oh, that that's a Roger Pratt film. I totally get that. Uh, anything so, else cinematography-wise you want to mention? Uh, yes and no. There's some stuff that it kind of blends with some of the other things that we're going to talk about. So Perfect. Uh, I'll just save it for then. Okay. But for uh, sound, like what, what's that? You mentioned that you really like the soundtrack. Yeah, I, you know, the march, the Batman theme is, that that is in my it's in my top five superhero themes, and at some point I'll have to like maybe we'll even have a show on that like this is what they should be, but I, I love it. I think it's I think it's fantastic. It's instantly recognizable. Uh, it's incredibly versatile. It can be you at some points you hear it kind of melancholy and slow. Most of the time it's very triumphant. It has that great triumphant you know reprisal at the end. Another great you know silhouette shot of Batman right next to the bad symbol uh, works great as a light motif. Obviously that doesn't take a lot of notes to get to it. And then you have this really interesting dichotomy between Elfman's music and then you have Prince and you know, yeah, this is one of those things too, where you kind of have a little bit of the studios like, yeah, and we're going to have Prince in the movie. If his music's going to be the movie, uh, okay. It's Bat- Batman and Prince. You, that's not a little, like a marriage that you would think immediately would work. Right. But I love it. Like it, it works as you know. It's most of it's diegetic music. I think it's all diegetic music. Honestly, uh, you hear it even at the beginning. You can hear little snippets of it when that that family's walking through, and which is another great sequence too. I love that. I'm like, because knowing the Batman origin story, you know, I remember watching that even for the first time. I'm like, are we going to get to see? Is, is this what this? No, and it's not that, but it's very much meant to evoke that. Um, but uh, yeah, I 
I love the balance between the diegetic music, the, the Prince music, which is very much like Joker's kind of music. It pretty much is played whenever he's doing stuff, whether in the parade or uh, you're going through the museum uh, versus kind of the orchestral Batman march. So for me, um, I thought the music was fine. <laughs> it, it didn't, uh, honestly, the soundtrack didn't really hook me. Um, and it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. Um, this, you know, our rewatch was not the, the first time I've seen it, but it's been a long time. Um, I will say that the one song that I, that stood out to me where I'm like, I really like that um, was it, it, it's hard to describe. It's, it's um, when Joker is in Vicky Vale's apartment mm-hmm. or, or I think like towards the end when he's like leaving and it's got this children's music vibe to it. And what I loved about that was that to me was one of the creepiest parts for the Joker was that music and the feeling of <laughs> just kind of craziness. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think it's, it's a little tropey having like children's music be creepy, but it worked and I liked it and it, it felt spot on for me, like character wise for, for Joker. And that's, that was like the one song that really was like, okay, I I'm, I'm vibing with, with everything. Not that any, like the music was fine. Um, I think you actually said it really well, where the, the Prince music is a very odd choice, especially on paper. I think it largely works with the film. So I don't think that it's bad. Um, but it's also very much of the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> Most definitely. I mean, also you have, you know, Lawrence, the big guy with the boom box. So, I mean, yeah, some of the diegetic music is literally played on a, on a thing from the eighties that mm-hmm. kids are like, what is that thing? Well, back in the day, uh, which is a fun way to use it, you know, it, uh, with going through the trashing the museum and then he switches it to the you know, theme from a summer place. That's the, yeah. You know, the kind of, uh, very mellow orchestral, you know, right before the flamethrower. It's, I mean, it's just a great, I love just the switch, you know, that he stopped that song, played that song that he's kind of his own DJ as well, or he has his own DJ. He's got, he's, that's how much of a, of an artiste this guy is that he travels with a retinue that has his own, you know, his music. He's clearly hearing it. He, he brought it, you know, the, the Lego, the Lego Batman, which that cracks me up too. Cause my kids had not seen this movie before they saw Lego Batman. So getting to go back to what, Oh, that's what he meant when he said the parade with the Prince music. Oh, okay. That's, that's this movie. Uh, so it's just funny these entry points uh, for that stuff. And we're like, yeah, that's always been that way. And they're like, Oh, okay. I get it. Uh, any, any special effects that, that uh, you really liked that stood out to you? So um, I, I actually particularly liked um, the commercial that Joker did for like all the Joker products. Um, I thought it was like the, the camp of the overall film actually worked really well in that particular thing. I just felt like, like the weird voices, like the effects looked horrible, but it, but it like, it, it felt like it was meant to look that way. Right. And so um, I also felt like that was one of the more men- menacing moments for the, for the Joker was during that commercial. And um having like the 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 news lady 
um, who starts cracking up mm-hmm. right at the horrible news. And then like it cuts to her and she's got the big Joker smile on her face. Uh, I will say that the Joker smiles are absolutely horrific and terrifying. Yeah. Um, I, I really didn't like them. <laughs> I, um, I, I was like, whenever Joker was, was on the screen, I was just fixated on, on that weird smile. And, you know, maybe that's what you're, you're supposed to do, but it also just looked like, he wasn't smiling. Like you could see uh, Jack Nicholson's real lips. Yeah. He wasn't smiling, but then you got the the fake prosthetics and I think it looks a lot better when he's got the white face paint on. Sure. Um, but I, I think it looks horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like when he, when he's got like his human skin tone, um, right. it, it just, it did not. And I, I get that it's supposed to kind of look horrific. Like, and that's where it's like, I'm a little torn because that's kind of, it's supposed to be kind of look terrifying because he's the villain and he's the Joker. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't like it. <laughs> but I, I will also say that uh, I think a lot of the effects, um, although maybe not aging very well, I think uh, work really well within, within the film. Yeah, I, I I do want to move down to performance in, in just a second, but I, I did want to mention that uh, this time, and I've always liked the like the shields that that with that sound effect is always I've enjoyed that the Batmobile engine. I mean, some of these are just like yeah go tos, um, but the the echo effect in the flashback scene I really appreciated this time a lot. How it's very much it is it's an echo because it's not happening now, and hence he's remembering you know his parents' murder, which we get to see many many times in other films as well. Um, you know, with this, the footsteps echoing and the scream and the pearls, all of that just really worked for me that it was kind of, you know, he's remembering, remembering it. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's not a fresh memory. This is something he's thought of many, many times. And so it's this other iteration of it that finally kind of, uh, has this reveal in it, right? He actually gets new information out of this, this really old memory. Uh, so that effect really worked for me. So speaking of that, you know, I'm kind of touching on performance anyway. Um, but what did you think of the reveal that Joker was the one that killed uh, Batman's parents? So I was young enough to have, when I saw this, I think I was 12 when I saw this film, that that didn't bother me because I didn't know the Batman mythos enough to know, oh, that's supposed to be Joe Chill. And I know at the time there's there's a big to do about that. That there was a lot. It was a lot of controversy. That in fact, even you know, there's there's two screenwriters. Well, there's I'm sure there's more, but there's two credited screenwriters for this film. I should say. So you had Sam Ham uh, and and Warren Skarin, and Sam Ham hates that <laughs> because they had there was a writer strike that happened, and that change happened while he was unable to work on the script, and so he doesn't have he didn't get final say on that, which. Um, I can only imagine how, how frustrating that is. Uh, and so you have, instead of Warren Skarin, the second one who comes in, the guy who also wrote Beetlejuice is the one that kind of changed that. And I, for me, ultimately, I've come to terms with, like, this is still its own. And I guess it helps also that we have different versions of Batman, right? That this is not, there is no definitive version of Batman or his, or his story or his origin, really. 
right? It can be whatever you want it to be. And that's okay. And I guess that's kind of where I've, I've come down on that. What about you? I think that uh, you said it pretty well. To me, it just feels forced. It, it feels like it, <laughs> it feels like something that like a writer would do thinking like, oh man, this is going to get them. I, I think this is Batman 89's Martha moment. I think <laughs> this moment of brilliance. No, because <laughs> we're going to get there. I think this is the writers, whoever, you know, decided this was like, this is going to get them. It's going to, it's going to put the bow on, on the movie. It's all going to make sense. It's going to be fantastic. And I think from just like a paper perspective, like if you're outlining this, like that kind of makes sense. Cause you know, you're, you're cutting down on characters. It's meaningful. This, this fight, it's meant to be meaningful. This fight between Joker and Batman, cause Joker killed his parents, you know, and they have that whole talk about like, you created me. No, you created me. Right. And, and so it's like, but it just, it doesn't land for me. Yeah. I, and I thought that was kind of just, I would, I wouldn't say cheesy cause I enjoy cheesy. It, it just felt forced. Yeah. I've, I've heard, and I think it actually was, was, was Sam Hamm that I read that had said that what he doesn't like about it is that when Joe chill dies before Bruce gets the opportunity to get the vengeance that he wants, that's kind of the thing that keeps him being Batman. He never can have that moment of closure. And so if, if that's, you know, what, if that's a theory you buy into, then, the fact that he does get that closure in this film kind of negates his continuing, you know, activity as Batman. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I can see his point that he's like, well, my mission's done, right? I took care of it. I avenged my parents. So some interesting, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's definitely a thing that I don't think that's going on. That's gone away. Uh, that there's still people that are still arguing about that. Um, some about some valid points for sure. Um, performances in, in this film. Was there anything that stood out to you as being either extra good, extra bad? What, 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 did, you, what did you like? What did you not like performance-wise in this? So uh, I think I mentioned it already, but I quite liked uh, Michael Keaton. Yeah. Um, I, I, did, I do think that he uh, has a very good Bruce Wayne um, where it's, it's like <laughs> kind of closed in closed off from the world like he's not quite sure how to act in social situations but at the same time he's also very intelligent uh but this bruce wayne also feels a little softer in my opinion than some of the other bruce waynes that we've seen um and i don't know quite what it is um you know i think the glasses actually help soften him a little bit uh just as far as wardrobe where it, it gives him a little bit more of a uh, introspective personality that I don't think we necessarily get uh, from like Nolan and, and certainly not Snyder's. Um, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm already ripping up. That's, Snyder's, no, that's Snyder's I'm just going to let that, let that lie. <laughs> Taking notes. Yeah. I'm like Batman. I just wait. Um, I think that um, Alfred is, I, I love this Alfred. Uh, me too. Um, and I I quite liked Vicky Vale uh, as kind of I don't know if you know I classify her as a main character you know secondary character but like I I liked what she brought to the film in terms of the relationship between her and and Bruce 
and, and ultimately Batman. I do think that the romance overall um, was a little light. You know, there, there wasn't like a lot uh, to to go on for the the romance, but it was, um, I think, I think good enough. Um, Jack Nicholson's performance. I both enjoyed it and didn't enjoy it. Okay. And, and I know a lot of people love Jack Nicholson's uh, Joker. Um, there's moments that I, I love. Um, he's got some menacing moments, which I've, I've kind of already brought up to me. It just feels a little inconsistent where I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about this. Cause there's some iterations of the Joker that are, are meant to be very goofy you know, and, and silly. And I get like moments of that with, with this Joker, like him dancing around, knocking the statues over in the museum. Like that's just silly. Like, you know, and and there's nothing wrong with that, but then you also have, you know, the moments where he's very menacing and, 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 and maybe that's, you know, that's, you know, what, what they were going for. I don't know. I just, I felt like Jack Nicholson was was very melodramatic a lot of the time, but then I also felt like he was reaching for these moments of of dramatic, mo- like I don't know. I, I I felt like I saw the actor and not the Joker in moments, and that's that's where I think that's probably the closest I could to summarize like why I wasn't the biggest fan of his performance is I felt like I was seeing bits of Jack Nicholson in there. Um, like little bits of what's his face from the shining. Like he's got that, that yeah. maniacal terror. Right. And um, it felt like I was seeing bits of that bits of the Joker and little bits of like silliness that just, it didn't all gel together into one cohesive performance for me. I hear what you're saying. And, and you know, it's, it's funny that all the things that you kind of pointed out, think that you don't like are things that I actually do like. I like that. He's that erratic, you know, that you never quite know what you're getting. You know, I, I think of also the moment in, in the museum with the flamethrower where it's, you know, it's out of nowhere. It's super violent. Yeah. You know, the joy buzzer is another thing where it's like, Oh, it's a joy. And no, he's going to electrocute this dude. Like, and that's a, that's even still, that's a really dark moment and pretty stinking gruesome for, I think this is, this is a PG 13 movie, but like that's, that's gory and, and pretty horrifying. So I'd say, and I actually, I love the flamethrower where he yeah. lights the candles. Oh, me too. Because like, but see, that's like, that's where one thing that I, I love where that totally works for me because that hits that, that sweet spot of like crazy yet practical. I don't know. And then there's just the, the goofy dancing, you know, with the, the boom box. And it's just like, those feel like different, like lenses on who the Joker is. And, and for me, it just, it didn't. And like, I totally get it where, you know, you, you enjoyed that. And I, and I think that's something when people talk about movies, it's okay to not like agree on like a point, like you, you enjoyed sure. the performance. I didn't. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a huge, you know, to be fair, I'm a huge Jack Nicholson fan. So like he is in a lot of places playing himself. I fully acknowledge that, that he is just like, I'm going to just chew scenery. And I love all of his, like 
I don't know how much of his dialogue he improvised or how much of it was handed to him, but he says so many bizarre things, just bizarre. Never rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> okay. You know, did I, I love it. I, I, I wrote down virtually everything he says is amazing. You know, the, probably his signature line is the, you know, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight, which I think mm-hmm. is great. I hate that. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And of course, it's the callback later for the, you know, maybe that's why it's the flashback thing that pulls you in there. Um, I really liked Michael Keaton's performance in this. I want to segue to that real quickly. I, I don't know how many Michael Keaton movies you had seen before you saw this. I had seen Beetlejuice. Uh, and the big one I'd seen was Mr. Mom. So I knew him as comedian, just bizarre weirdo. Uh, and then, but I never had a problem. I mean, I was young, but I, I know there was obviously a giant uproar about his casting. You know, there's a lot of people that were potentially up for this and we get down there. I may mention a few of them, but uh, I never had a problem. I was like, oh, it's, he's an actor. He's just doing his thing. And I like the quirkiness. You know, I love that. In the intro we get for him, you know, he pretends that he's not Bruce Wayne, you know, and then the line of, oh, and give not give Knox a grant just out of nowhere. What do you think? Six, six cases. Good. Yeah. Okay. You know, he's just odd. And of course he is because like he dresses up like a bat at night, does weird stuff. And then you have, you know, Michael Goff's Alfred who just dotes on him. That whole scene with him just falling around, picking up the pen, picking up the glass. I love all that. Because like there's legitimate, you know, care and nurturing there. Like, he knows that he, you know, this guy needs him. Um, but I do want to say that uh, I've always really liked speaking of dialogue. I've always really liked the line where the Joker says, "Bruce Wayne Nespa," and he says most of the time. And I love it because I had to look it up. I had to learn. I was like, well, I, don't, I have no idea what he's saying. Do you know what, 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 what the question is? No. Okay. Is it true? Is, or is this true? Essentially is what it is. So he's asking, are you Bruce Wayne? Is that true that you are? It's because his response is most of the time, most of the time I'm Bruce Wayne. And it's just kind of off the cuff. And again, I, there's no translation for the French that the man is speaking, uh, Nicholson speaking, but on subsequent rewatches, I'm like, that's so cool. He's like, a little bit behind the curtain. Yeah. No, I'm actually not always Bruce Wayne. So anyway, that's one of my favorite things. No, I, uh, yeah. How, hearing you explain it, that, that, that is a great line. Um, I was not a particular fan of, of the dialogue. There wasn't um, any particular lines that I really liked. There was a lot of bizarre stuff. You already mentioned the rhubarb. Uh, another one was the city needs an enema. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> And I just, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it just, it, it didn't, it, it didn't really work for me. What about I've been dead once already. It's very liberating. Oh, so I thought it was, I thought it was, I, I think it's a fine line. I, I didn't particularly, this is where, you know, the Nicholson's performance also kind of works against the dialogue for me is I didn't always particularly enjoy the, the delivery of it. Yeah. And Knox's line, which I'll always remember from the trailer, from the first trailer where he says, uh, Lieutenant, is there a six foot bat in Gotham city? And if so, is he on the police payroll? And if so, what's he pulling down after taxes, which is like, he's, he knows that he's overextending 
And so he's just going to throw another joke in there. Yeah. Um, and I see, that's one thing like this movie has moments of levity in it, but I mean, there is some camp in it, obviously, but there's, I think for me personally, it strikes a pretty good balance between having moments of, wow, that's funny. And that's great action. And that's creepy. And that's sad and kind of hits all of the, all the markers for me. Uh, one other thing I want to point out, just kind of a weird trivia quirk, is uh, near the end when they're at the cathedral and uh, the Joker says, you know, Gotham City Cathedral, transportation for two. And the guy says five minutes. And he says, we better make it 10. It is 10 minutes in actual time. If you notice this, I see nodding in your head uh, between when he says that and when the helicopter shows up. And I've always thought that's cool that it essentially happens in real time. <laughs> I'm like oh the movie's actually, almost over dang it. i actually didn't know that but yeah that that is an, a nice catch i got that on accident one day and was like i'm never gonna forget that <laughs> um so we talked about uh we talked about the costumes a little bit, a little uh, bit facial yeah. expression the frozen facial expression which you said was horrifying because it was horrible which i liked <laughs> that uh i've always enjoyed that uh nicholson and keaton both have very expressive eyebrows almost the same eyebrows and uh, this time the doctor's expression when he's finishing up the surgery on jack just i love that scene too because mm-hmm. i meant to mention this earlier with the cinematography that you don't get the reveal until much later like you see jack even in kind of in silhouette when he when he kills grissom that they wait that they make you wait i think that's great that you're just like look at that guy's expression you know we go back to like indirect characterization right effect on others uh, was that this guy, this doctor, is horrified about what he's what he's seen? And I did quite like the the overall design of the film. I think is actually pretty good. Like talking both about like the costumes and the setting. Um, you know, we already mentioned the the Art Deco. Um, it, it, there's just like this particular aesthetic. I think that, and I'm not sure if it was like who kind of came up with it, but there's this kind of aesthetic in my mind of Gotham city where it's like these bright neon lights all over the place. But then you've got also like tons of darkness and then the streets themselves were filled with trash and, Mm -hmm. and dirt and grit. And I'm not sure if that was Burton or if it was maybe before. Um, But I also feel like, Oh, go ahead. No. Okay. So yeah, this was a a quote I'd heard it before. And and I wanted to make sure I made note of it this time that so it did it the film won the academy award for best art direction which is production design they've changed the name since since it won uh anton first is the one that did the production design and this is the quote that i've always loved he says we imagine what new york city might have become without a planning commission a city run by crime with a riot of architectural architectural styles an essay in ugliness and this is the this is the key as if hell erupted through the pavement and kept on going that's his vision for Gotham City. That's a good City. line. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, you're like, of course. And so I, like, and, and so for me, like Gotham, that that's kind of, but then it's also like, you know, that's a challenge because that's what like Batman's fighting against, right? And, and you do have that contrast that I mentioned earlier where you've got the light, bright, you know, uh, museum and, and, um, um, you know, the moments where Bruce is, is playing Bruce, where he's out, you know, with the, uh, with Lando Calrissian gambling <laughs> <Exactly>. and, 
It indeed. So it, it, it does have that like great contrast in setting and design. Um, and, and the same with the, the costumes. I think, it, you know, it's weird because it's like they've got these video cameras and all this stuff, right? Where it feels kind of 80s, 90s. Like it feels more modern than not. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're wearing like fedoras yep. and pinstripe suits. Good catch. <laughs> yep. I had that same thing. This is part of that whole you know, period piece thing is it, the costume. And I, and I don't, for some reason, I've never really gravitated toward that aspect until I watched it this time. I was like, oh my gosh, this, these people are dressed like it's the 40s. Yeah. You know, like it's 1939 where Batman, you know, originated. So there is some very interesting contrast. You can't really put. Uh, a distinct time period on this film. It very much is of its own kind of parallel dimension timeline thing. Love that. Um, except for, of course, Batman's costume is the one super kind of modern thing. Uh, we've talked about this guy before, Bob Ringwood, who did the still suits in David Lynch's Dune, because I'm just going to bring that up, bring that memory back up to you, Matt, that you had to watch David Lynch's Dune. Um, also did uh, Empire of the Sun, Troy, did a couple of alien movies, did this next the second Batman uh, movie as well, Batman Returns and Batman Forever. Um, the black body armor, I was revolutionary at the time. But he can't turn his neck. <laughs> no, he can't turn his neck. That's true. He has to turn his entire body. His There's entire- some issues with it. <laughs> but my biggest issue with the thing is is why the the logo on his chest doesn't match like the regular bat symbol. Did that ever bug you? That always is bugged. I never noticed that. Really? Oh yeah. No. Because they cha- and they change it. He gets a new suit for Batman Returns. It's you know because this one has like it looks more like actual human anatomy, like with the six pack and whatever. And the next one's much more stylized. Uh, but they change also the the little emblem. It's it's the actual. Uh, it's the same symbol as like the Batwing or what mm. have you. But yeah, it's a different symbol on his chest, uh, which is kind of interesting. But I'm not. I've never heard the uh, the rationale behind that. But it's always kind of stuck out to me as, huh, that's different. I don't know why. Maybe one of our listeners knows. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe it doesn't bug him. I don't know. Bugs me. <laughs> I'm bugged by small things like little bat legs. <laughs> uh, so we mentioned, you know, of course, that the production design, it's highly stylized. This is clearly not shot in any city. When we get to Batman Begins, it's very Chicago-y because it's shot in Chicago. Uh, this is on a set. You know, this is mm-hmm. Pinewood, uh, except for things like Wayne Manor and uh, some of the stuff with Axis Chemical is like establishing shots and stuff is real world, but basically everything else is, you know, built from scratch. Um, and that's how you're going to get that Art Deco. And there's not a lot of places you can go that you're going to have that in good shape like that too. So um, it definitely adds to the, uh, the surrealism, I'll guess I'll say uh, of this film. Anything else you want to mention with uh, setting design props, any of those kind of things? We kind of talked about some of the props already. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's it. Um, and then it's, you know, we've, we've been touching on characters kind of the whole time. I will say though, that um, my, my very favorite scene is um, the dinner, the dinner date. Yeah. Um, Good scene. But, but not, not the one uh it's, it's right after kind of the joke where they have dinner with uh, Alfred mm-hmm. and it's Alfred and Vicki Vale and Bruce Wayne. 
And Alfred is just going on and on about, you know, the stories and, oh, you know, I've embarrassed Bruce enough. Uh, and then they have that talk. And for me, I think that's my favorite because it's it's that moment of of levity, of of humanity coming through where you see Bruce as not the billionaire, as not the eccentric, you know, um, genius or as Batman. You just see him as a person, I think, yeah. the most. And so it's like that little scene right there. I'm going to reference this when we get to future Batman movies as some of those movies lack that humanity that we see just in little moments like that. I think make, they, they speak volumes about, um, about the character and, and humanizing them. So I just had to throw that in there uh, before I forgot. No, I love that. I mean, I'm thinking of the, of the line. He says, you know, some of the stuff is very much me. Some of it isn't. You know, even that and maybe this speaks to it'll be interesting when by the time we're all done like have we underrated michael keaton's acting ability you know it's doing yes. comedy is not <laughs> yes yes we are. doing comedy doesn't make it easy that's comedy is not easy uh so yeah the we talked about the characters um i'm just going to throw out just because it's fun to hear kind of some of the people that possibly could have been some of these characters uh, and also mentioned that my one gripe about the cast in, is actually that we get very little Commissioner Gordon, that you don't have that relationship in this film and really barely have it in, in Batman Returns. That's such a vital part of the comics. And that's just, to me, that's kind of just a well, the movie was kind of crowded with stuff. And we spent a lot of time with Nicholson's character uh, and his guys. And so maybe that kind of just fell to the side, um, which is, it didn't bother me as much as a kid. It does now because I'm like, we could have had this. I love this aspect of it. Um, but here's some people that also could have played the Joker that were auditioned for this. Uh, Tim Curry, David Bowie, John Lithgow, Brad Dorif, speaking of Dune, uh, Ray Liotta, James Woods, Robin Williams tried to get an audition that didn't work. Um, I think lots of good choices in there, probably. Uh, the list for, for Bruce Wayne is impressive. Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Charlie Sheen, Tom Selleck, Bill Murray. I remember hearing that one. Uh, Harrison Ford, Dennis Quaid, Pierce Brosnan, who turned it down because he didn't want to play a superhero. But he's going to now in Black Adam, which is going to be interesting. He's going to play Dr. Fate. Uh, and then the studio wanted Willem Dafoe, which is interesting. Because a lot of people thought he'd be a really good Joker. But no, they were thinking of him as, uh, as Batman. So. There's some kind of just fun, just random trivia that's that's out there pretty easily to find. Some what ifs. Yeah. Um, I, I'm happy with the cast that we had, for sure. Yeah. I know we did have also, we had, uh, which is kind of an interesting one, you know, Sean Young was going to be Vicky Vale and then got hurt in a horseback accident. Uh, and so Kim Basinger just kind of slid right in there. She was available and I think did a really well, good job. She's obviously a good actress. She's won an Academy Award. Um, and then you have, later on, you have Sean Young, Sean Young actually kind of crashing Warner Brothers later to try and be Catwoman. There's a whole thing there if you want to research that. There's some some weird stuff happened with these Batman movies um, that's out there, and it's kind of fun to revisit those. Um, yeah. So moving on to if we have anything to talk about, hero's journey or world building or kind of wrapping up. What what are your what are your thoughts? You know, as far as um you know, world building. I think, you know, we kind of talked about that with like the setting um, pretty well, at least, you know, I got my thoughts out about that. I will say that um, I do want to talk a little bit about 
you know, the journey um, as far as it, it concerns like Batman and, and the character overall. And um, I got some questions for you. So, you know, we see this Batman and one of the big criticisms uh, going, um, you know, looking ahead a little bit to uh, Snyder's um, DC superheroes is that um, they kill. And this Batman clearly kills several people throughout the film. (laughs) Um, My questions for you are, I'm not as well versed in the DC comics um, as, as the Marvel ones. But I was always under the impression that Batman had a no kill policy due to his like, obviously, like with comics, there's like spinoffs, right? But as far as like main continuity, that Batman had a no kill policy, at least on purpose, right? Where it's like, if someone dies accidentally, like, okay, it happens, but he would never intentionally kill someone. Um, Is that accurate? And then what do you think about Batman? Like I remember specifically they're in like the bell tower and like he kick flips a guy, a goon off and he falls all the way. Down. Like, yeah, Batman so, knew what he was doing. So cool. <laughs> um, yeah. I love that. It's brutal. That whole time that, yeah, that Belfry scene is, is brutal. Um, you know, there's, I'm not as versed in, in Batman lore as, as some people are. Um, I'd like to hear Dan Zare's comment on this. I know he's much more of a big comic book guy than I am. Uh, but I do know that when Batman started, that the no kill thing was not a thing and that Batman actually would use guns from time to time. I know. And then later on, we've had where his has a very obvious and natural aversion to guns because of what happened with his parents. And I know there are versions where Batman was very hesitant to kill and, and would not kill. And it would be uh, the whole you get a little into the I don't have to save you thing a little bit like, like the. Uh, the Christian Bale, Christopher Nolan ones. Um, but you also have here, this uh, this film comes out shortly after and is heavily influenced by Dark Knight Returns, which is hyper-violent. And you, know, you can argue in that Batman actually kills the Joker in that. Um, I've, there was even, I saw something the other day, people were having a like, no, the Joker finished himself off, the Batman set him up, and it was all this. So in any case, um, my recollection of this film was that, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Like, yeah, he's got Gatling guns on the Batmobile and he tries to murder and the missiles. Joker missiles and try. Yeah. And how he, I'm still upset that he missed the Joker because that would, you know, so the movie can happen. That's why I didn't kill him. But I thought that that, that actually looks intentional to me. You think that you he th- tried not to kill him? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what do you think? Was that intentional? I, I don't know. I, to me, it looks like malfunction or he just, I don't know, because like it's got the little red dots and stuff. It's got the circle. Like, I don't know how he missed them. Um, and you know, of course the, the Joker takes out the Batwing and it's a spectacular crash. And again, so the movie can happen. Um, and then, but even though we say that he murdered the Joker, I mean, did he though, or did he just kept him from going? And then the Joker kind of killed himself because he had tried to get away and, all he did was like, I'm going to tie you up to this gargoyle. And it's not my fault. The gargoyle snapped off because it was a thousand years old. I don't know. I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I mean, this is also, you know, I grew up with, you know, the original Superman two, where he spoiler alert kills Zod in that. And no one freaked out about it. Um, so, you know, he's was that because nobody saw it. Oh no. Many people have seen Superman two. 
I haven't seen it. So I know you haven't seen it. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're gonna we're gonna load up on that. Good stuff. So I don't know. Did I answer your question? I hope I did. Yes, but that leads me to a follow up, which is that if you woke up as the president of Warner Brothers tomorrow, uh, and and you were in charge of the next Batman franchise, would your Batman have a no kill policy or not? Uh, so do I get to bring back Batfleck? Do I have? Can I open the purse strings? Sure. Okay, great. Um, so I think that it's a last resort. I I think that because I've seen some of this in like the CW's Flash series, which has drove me nuts. We're like, we absolutely can't kill him, and then the guy goes and murders like five hundred <laughs> more people. It's like, you know, I get where you're coming from. But I think sometimes, especially in superhero land, that the ends kind of justify the means with those kind of things. I have less of an issue with I'm going to take out a murderer. Like you're already buying into the vigilante thing. So like, by all means, don't kill innocent people and be careful with collateral damage. But, you know, if they're about to kill you or about to kill an innocent people, some innocent people. Self-defense or defending others. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah, I'm good with that. For me, I, I would have a no-kill policy because I think it's more interesting from like a writing and a philosophical perspective of if Batman cannot kill, how does he solve this problem? Like, sure. and, and to me, it reminds me of like Luke in The Last Jedi, where it's like he doesn't use violence to solve the issue. He, he finds a nonviolent way, essentially, to solve his problem. And to me, that's just like, it's interesting because it's like I I totally see what you're saying. So you know, um, but I I think that it, where it's like if you can just kill the Joker, <laughs> why wouldn't you? Right. You know. Yeah. Because 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 that's where it's like he gets captured. He's, I mean, you know, if if the Joker were real, he'd be among the worst of the worst, right? Yeah. So. And think about I, how I th- many more people those he's killed since Batman didn't kill him. Right. But I, that's where it's just like, I think it's, I think this, this is, this is why I think it's really interesting to have that no kill balls because it has that discussion, right? Yeah. Where if you, if, if he's allowed to kill, do you even have that discussion? If that's an option on the table? Yeah. No, I, I love that. I think that you're, you're, you're onto something as far as making it more interesting uh, as far as, as the writing project. I, I think that's, that's fascinating that you can find alternative ways to, to do that. No, this is, this is the only way we can do No, there's, there's going to be another way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's great. I think you also have, you know, both of these movies, this one and Batman returns both kill off their major villain. I think some of that also has to do with the fact that you have these massive stars that aren't coming back for a second movie. And so you're just going to, you know, get your money from a behind the scenes practical perspective. There's a little bit of that going on as well. Um, That still doesn't explain the massive guns on the Batmobile or the the (laughs) Batwing or whatever. It just looks cool. You know, Um, it's, it's the late eighties. It's Rambo. It's we're good with this. Um, But it's definitely an interesting discussion to have. I would be, you know, I'd be curious to hear what some of our listeners think about that. And I know there's definitely, I'm sure there are writers, Batman writers that have argued both sides of that. Um, but yeah, definitely not to have it as a, well, it's too hard to figure out. So we're just going to have them do it. Yeah. Would never be something I'd want to see. Yeah. And I know that's not what you were advocating, but yeah. I think that's one of the things that makes band, uh, Batman as a franchise interesting 
is the, you know these discussions of like like what you know what what is it that makes batman a hero versus just like some thug right <laughs> you know and i think you could argue that his no kill policy his aversion to violence serious violence uh is part of what makes him different you know not sure. all but it's yeah. part yeah i like that um uh, i did want to mention too um uh, i'm moving down to uh to find some of my final thoughts if that's all right yeah uh that this was really revolutionary in terms of the way films were marketed blockbusters marketed um with the whole you got to be a huge success in your opening weekend otherwise it's a bomb that was just not really a thing until this movie came out and had a massive weekend then it was like well this is the way we have to do it but the thing that i remember the most was other than the heavily influence on the flash and some of the other things um, like dark man. There's some other things that kind of follow after this that are Dick Tracy, other things too. also, they're very much like, let's make this a period piece and really stylized is how quickly the turnaround for home video was. And I was actually watching a documentary about this um, just this last week that, um, you know, this kind of was the end of second run theaters because this movie came out in June and the home video release was out in October, which now is not that, like we're getting movies sometimes same day, you know, on HBO Max or what have you. Uh, but those like that four month turnaround was unprecedented at the time. And there was a giant uproar from some of these places that were like, well, we were still wanting to have Batman in the theater and get tickets for that. And now people are taking it home. And this was I think this might have been the first video cassette that I owned because I know we, we got that. It was it was a massive sale. Uh, was a massive hit when it when it came out. So this movie just beyond um, the Batman mythos and beyond how it influences superhero films, just influences other films as well. Uh, lots of blockbusters, whether they be superhero or not. And uh, one last thing on it. Uh, there is, I found this out recently and I need to check it out. There is a Batman 89 comic book written by Sam Hamm that is a sequel. I don't know if you knew this. Hmm. It's a sequel to Batman Returns. It completely ignores Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Like they're in their own little universe. It's a different timeline. Um, so that might be something uh, that our listeners might want to check out. I want to check it out. I know that continues the story, minor spoiler, uh, with Two-Face. This Two-Face with Billy D. Williams. Lando Calrissian's Two-Face becoming, actually becoming Two-Face. So what about you? What are your, some of your final thoughts? Oh, that, that, those were my final thoughts. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Well, that was a lot of fun. I've loved revisiting yeah. this movie. I'm looking forward to uh, the next few Batman movies we're going to watch and kind of see how they fit after, you know, in our overall thoughts of, of Batman, Batman mythos and, and Batman in film. Uh, I've watch each of these, these films that are very different featuring this, you know, same character. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, email us at ratingbetweenreels at gmail.com, or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. We'd love to hear your feedback, and it really helps us get the word out about the podcast. I cannot emphasize enough how much, guys, those reviews are super helpful for letting other people know about us uh, and the show. 
So let your neighbors know, let your friends know, let random people on the internet know. Uh, And if you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies. And one last thing, our next episode will be a review of Batman Begins, which we've kind of talked about. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Batman Begins, and we'll share them on the next episode.